The Guardian. Guardian Podcast, sponsored by audible.co.uk. For a free download, be sure to check out guardian.co.uk slash free download, where Guardian listeners can choose any audiobook for free. See the page for more details. Questions to the Prime Minister, Naomi Long. Question number one, Mr. Speaker. Prime Minister. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, I'm sure the whole House will wish to join me in paying tribute to those servicemen who have fallen since we last met for Prime Minister's Question Time. Captain Rupert Bowers from 2nd Battalion, the Mercian Regiment, Sergeant Luke Taylor from the Royal Marines, Lance Corporal Michael Foley from the Adjutant General's Corps, and Corporal Jack Stanley from the Queen's Royal Hussars, who died on Sunday the 8th of April from wounds sustained in Afghanistan in February. We are indebted to their courage and to their selfless service. And at this difficult time, we send our heartfelt condolences to the families, friends and colleagues of these men who've made the ultimate sacrifice for our country. They will not be forgotten. This morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues in others, and in addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Naomi Law. I would want to also offer my condolences to the families of those who have lost their lives in conflict in recent days. Mr Speaker, in Northern Ireland, party political donations are not subject to the same publication rules as those in the rest of the UK. However, my own party has delivered on our commitment to publish the relevant information on a voluntary basis. Will the Prime Minister commit to bringing the Northern Ireland publication rules into line with the rest of the UK? And further, will he demonstrate his own commitment to openness and transparency by following our lead and publishing voluntarily lists of donors to the Conservative Party in Northern Ireland? Very happy. We we publish uh, those donor lists, and quite rightly so. As the Honourable Lady knows, the last Government passed legislation with specific treatment for Northern Ireland for reasons that I think are quite well known to the House. As far as possible, we want Northern Ireland political parties to show the same approach as in the rest of the UK. If parties choose to publish this information on a voluntary basis, then that is very welcome. So I very much welcome what the Honourable Lady's party has done, leading by example. Mr Stephen Barclay. Speaker, following the unlawful killing of my constituent David Gray as a result of his out-of-hours GP's inability to speak English, could I welcome today's announcement of a consultation on strengthening controls on foreign doctors? Does my regimental friend agree with me that GPs working in England should be able to speak English and that the legitimate desire for freedom of movement within the EU is not an excuse for compromising patient safety? This honourable gentleman is entirely right and today's announcement makes clear that doctors shouldn't be operating in the NHS in our country unless they can speak English. Under the proposals, senior doctors will need to assess whether the doctor has the necessary language skills to be able to communicate effectively with patients. If they can't do that, they can't practice. Mr Ed Miliband. Mr Speaker, let me join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to Captain Rupert Bowers from 2nd Battalion, the Mercian Regiment, Sergeant Luke Taylor from the Royal Marines, Lance Corporal Michael Foley from the Adjutant General's Corps, and Corporal Jack Stanley from the Queen's Royal Hussars. I join the Prime Minister in saying they showed the most enormous courage and bravery, and all of our thoughts are with their family and friends. Mr Speaker, can the Prime Minister confirm that the cut in the 50 pence tax rate on which we will be voting tonight will be worth at least £40,000 a year to Britain's millionaires? The cut in the 50p tax rate is going to be paid five times over by the richest people in our country. But, But 
I notice, Mr. Speaker, I notice, Mr. Speaker, he doesn't ask about unemployment. Every, every month when unemployment has risen, he's leapt to that dispatch box to leap on the bad news. Today we see unemployment fall by 35,000, employment up by 53,000, and no welcome from the Honourable Gentleman. Doesn't that show all of his priorities? Will he now welcome the increase in people employed in our country? Mr Speaker, Mr Speaker, on unemployment, only this Prime Minister could think it was a cause for celebration that over a million young people are still out of work in this country. How out of... It's no wonder people think he's out of touch, Mr Speaker. And the House will have noted, the House will have noted that he couldn't deny that Britain's 14,000 millionaires are getting a £40,000 cut in their income tax rate. And, uh, look, and, as for, and as for the figures produced for the budget, even the Treasury Select Committee says they're bogus figures today. So millionaires are winners from this budget. But what about everyone else? Will he confirm that by freezing the personal tax allowance year on year on year, 4.4 million pensioners will lose as much as £320 a year. What this budget is about is actually cutting taxes for 24 million working people, taking 2 million people out of tax, freezing the council tax, cutting corporation tax so we're competitive with the rest of the world, and for pensioners, we've increased the basic state pension this month by £5.30 a week, far more than Labour ever would have done so. But if I have to ask him this, if he's concerned, if he's concerned about the 45p top rate of tax, perhaps he could explain why his amendment that he's asking everyone to vote for at four o'clock this afternoon would get rid of the 45p top rate of tax and leave us with a 40p top rate of tax. much to do over the last month. Some of us have been quite busy, I accept. He's had almost nothing to do, but even that that he has to do, he's completely incompetent at. The Prime Minister's talking rubbish, as always, Mr. Mr. Speaker. But on, but look, on, the issue, on the issue of pensions, on the issue of pensions, he points to the increase in the basic state pension. I do say to him, only this Prime Minister could try and con Britain's pensioners by taking the, by taking the credit for high inflation. And, every, and everybody will have noticed, everybody will have noticed, he didn't deny that Britain's pensioners are seeing a tax increase year on year. And it's not just pensioners he's trying to con, it's families with children. Will he confirm that according to the Institute for Fiscal Studies, as a result of all his tax changes from this April, Families with children will be over £500 a year worse off. Well, I notice he's moved off the top rate of tax because he doesn't want to talk about it. In fact, I've got to ask him, he's got to withdraw his amendment because if he's successful, he'll give us a 40p tax rate. The other reason, the other reason he doesn't want to talk about the top rate of tax, the other reason is because he can't convince Labour's candidate for Mayor of London to pay his taxes. Now, 
when it comes to pensioners, what we have done is increase the basic state pension, we've kept all the pensioner benefits, and the freeze in age-related allowances means there will be no cash losses. Compare that with the pathetic 75p increase for pensioners. We remember what the budgets did. So will he stand up now and condemn Labour's candidate for Mayor of London who won't pay his taxes? Mr Speaker, Mr. Speaker in case, in case he's, he's very excited today, Mr Speaker. In case he's forgotten, in case he's, in ca- in case he's forgotten, it's Prime Minister's questions, the clues in the name. I ask the questions and he's supposed to answer them. Now, now he, no answer, no answer... No answer on pensioners, no answer on families. What about charities? The Prime Minister's big idea was the big society. But since the budget, I don't know why he's taking advice from the part-time Chancellor sitting next to him, Mr. Mr. Which, I wonder which job he's doing today, Mr. Speaker. But since the budget, since the budget, Since the budget, the government has managed to insult people who give to charity, and he's insulted the charities themselves by implying they're bogus. Now, the Prime Minister claimed claimed he worked on the budget line by line. Did Did he know when he signed off the budget that it represented a hit of as much as £500 million on Britain's charities? These figures are completely wrong, but let me tell, let me tell... The right or First of all, absolutely no defence of Ken Livingstone. Not a word. And what this is all about is making sure that the richest people in our country do pay their taxes. Now, last year, last year there were over, 100, over 300 people earning over a million pounds who paid a rate of tax of 10%. I don't think that's good enough. And we've got a Labour candidate for Mayor of London who's paying less tax on his earnings than the person who cleans his office. I think that's disgraceful. Why won't he condemn it? Mr Speaker, this is a problem. Order the usual level of orchestration from the usual suspects on the government backbenches. Be quiet, Mr Burns. It will be better for your health. You're the Minister for Health. Get better, Mr Ed Miliband. Mr Speaker, what a desperate Prime Minister who can't even justify his own budget. And I'll tell him, if he wants to talk about the Mayor of London, we've got a candidate for Mayor of London who will cut tube fares, who will make rents fairer, who will bring back the educational maintenance allowance. And what has he got? A candidate... A candidate for Mayor of London who is out of touch and was arguing for the cut in the 50 pence tax rate. Now, Mr Speaker, the reality on charities is that he's not making the rich worse off, he's making charities worse off. Over the last month, we've seen the charity tax shambles, the churches tax shambles, the caravan tax shambles, and the pasty tax shambles. So, Mr Speaker... Mr Speaker, we're all keen to hear the Prime Minister's view as to why he thinks four weeks on from the budget, even people within Downing Street are calling it an omni-shambles budget. We've got a Mayor of London who pays his taxes. So, 
Nothing from him about unemployment. Nothing about the rich needing to pay their taxes. Nothing about Ken Livingstone's responsibilities. He asks about the budget. This budget cut taxes for 24 million people. This budget cut corporation tax. This budget made Britain competitive. He talks about my last month. I accept a tough month. Let's have a look at his last month. He lost the Bradford by-election. That was a great success. I have to say, he has given one person a job opportunity. George Galloway. He lost the Bradford by-election. He, had to, he showed complete weakness when it came to the Unite Trade Union and the fuel strike. And he's got a Mayor of London who won't pay his taxes. That's his last month. As ever, completely hopeless. Mr Speaker, he talks about the fuel strike. I'm not going to take any lectures on industrial relations. I'm not going to take any lectures on industrial relations from a government and a Prime Minister that cause panic at the pumps. And that is the reality. And when he gets to his feet, let him apologise for the gross irresponsibility. Let him apologise for the gross irresponsibility for the Cabinet Minister who caused that panic at the pumps and for him. The reality is, the reality is, he should, he should calm down, Mr. Speaker. He should calm down. He should calm down. Mr. Speaker, this budget comprehensively fails the test of fairness and it spectacularly fails the test of competence. We have a Prime Minister who is unfair, out of touch and incompetent. Never mind we're all in it together. When's he going to get a grip on his government? <laughs> he, won't, he won't take any lectures on the fuel strike because he's in the pockets of the people who called the fuel strike. That's right. They vote for his policies. They sponsor his members of parliament. They got him elected. Absolutely irresponsible. That's what we've heard once again from the honourable gentleman. Not good enough to run the opposition. Not good enough to run the country. Mr. Carl McCartney. Thank you, Speaker. Does my right honourable friend has my right honourable friend noted that Standard and Poor's, the rating agency that downgraded both the US and France, affirmed the stable outlook on the UK's AAA rating on Friday, and that they said we could lower the ratings if we came to the conclusion that the pace and extent of fiscal consolidation was slowing beyond what we currently expect. In other words, if the discredited policies of the party opposite were adopted. Prime Minister, far too long. The, the Honourable Gentleman makes an important point, which is, in this week of all weeks, we're getting yet more reminders from other countries in Europe of the importance of getting on top of your deficit, on top of your debts, and having a proper plan to deliver that. That's what needs to happen. It's welcome what standards and pours have done. We also need to keep our interest rates low to make sure we deliver the growth our economy needs. And it's absolutely extraordinary that the leader of the House of Commons has gone on television today, shadow leader of the House of Commons, on television today, calling for higher interest rates. I don't think uh, he focused on that. Better go and have a look at the transcripts. William McRae. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. In January, the First Minister of Northern Ireland requested that the Prime Minister meet the families of ten innocent workmen murdered uh, by the IRA in the Kills uh, Mills massacre of 1976. I know the Prime Minister has already met other families, and I know he desires to be balanced in his approach. Can he assure me that he will meet these families of innocent victims? 
Well, the Kingsmill Massacre was an absolutely appalling event in Northern Ireland's history. I'm, I'm well aware of that. My sympathies are for the, the families. I will arrange a meeting for the family with the uh, Northern Ireland Secretary. If it's possible for me to attend, of course, I'll do that as well. Stephen Gilbert. Thank you much, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister will be aware that there is no VAT chargeable on caviar, and yet the Government is proposing to put VAT on the Cornish pasty. Can you tell me why that's fair? I think um, I understand that feelings in, in, in Cornwall run high on this, but let me explain. What I think is unfair is that products sold in a fish and chip shop, which are subject to VAT, those same products can be sold in supermarkets, not subject to VAT. I don't think that's fair, and that's why it's right we redraw the boundaries. Kerry McCarthy. While the Prime Minister is entertaining millionaire party donors to cosy kitchen suppers at his Downing Street flat, thousands of ordinary people are queuing at food banks because they can't afford to feed their families. What do those people worst hit by this government's cuts and by the biggest rise in food prices since August 2010 have to do to get a quiet word in the Prime Minister's ear? Is there any chance he could invite some of them round for some What what this government has done is actually the biggest increase in the child tax credits that go to the poorest families in our country. What we did in April 2011, there was a £255 increase. That was the largest ever increase. And there's a further increase this year of £135. Added to that, we've taken two million of the poorest people out of income tax altogether. And one of the things that would hit families hardest is an increase in interest rates, which is now the official policy of the official opposition. Mr Richard Bacon. Mr Speaker, given that 1,200 jobs at Group Lotus in South Norfolk may be at risk following the company's recent change of ownership, will the Prime Minister put all possible pressure on the Malaysian government to ensure that DRB Highcom only permits the sale of the business to buyers who wish to see it as a going concern in Norfolk. I did raise this issue with the Malaysian Prime Minister and also with the new Malaysian owners of the parent company of of Lotus. Lotus makes a key contribution to the UK automotive sector. The sector is doing well. I want to see Lotus succeed. I want to to see it have a a secure future. And we're in contact with the company, monitoring the situation very closely and making sure they know about the regional growth fund money that is available. Theresa Pearce. This flawed budget makes 230,000 additional pensioners pay tax. It will bring half a million extra parents into self-assessment regime because of the tax on their child benefit. Yet this week we've heard that 10,000 members of staff from HMRC are going to be cut. Isn't it the case that the Chancellor is so incompetent he won't even have the staff to be able to deliver his own budget plans? We have actually increased staffing levels at Revenue and Customs to make sure we crack down on the sort of tax avoidance that, frankly, is shown by the Honourable Lady's candidate for the Mayor of London. That is what it's come to. So that is the measures that we're taking. I'm sure I speak for many across the House in expressing our support for entrepreneurship and the creation of new businesses. But would my right honourable friend agree with me that service companies set up by Labour politicians to disguise their own hypocrisy on tax is a disgraceful betrayal of real entrepreneurs up and down the country? I think my honourable friend makes a good point and they don't want to hear it because the fact is the man they are putting forward to be Mayor of London has set up a company to fuel all this money into and is paying potentially a lower tax rate than the people who work for him at the GLA. It is completely disgraceful and even at this late stage I would call on the Labour leader to get the Labour candidate to publish all of the information so we can actually see the tax he's paying. Mr Andrew Smith. 
Does the Prime Minister agree that the specialist ACE centre in Oxford currently facing closure does outstanding work unlocking the isolation of children with acute communication difficulties? Given the pressure charities are under, will the Prime Minister step in and pull together some bridging finance so that this outstanding centre can continue helping the children and young people who need it so much? With the right hon. Gentleman probably knows, I, I do know this centre. I've visited this centre in the past. I'm very happy to look with him as a fellow Oxfordshire MP about what can be done to help this centre and the very, work that it, very good work that it does, particularly for disabled children. Mr Andrew Salou, the Prime Minister rightly wants to crack down on tax avoidance. So what does he think about Ken Livingstone, who said, and I quote, I get loads of money, all from different sources. And I give it to an accountant and they manage it. Is that modern socialism for you? They don't like to hear. I thought the Labour Party wanted rich people to pay their taxes properly. That's what we've ensured through this budget and through the extra resources for the revenue. So why, why the deafening silence from the party opposite? Why not a condemnation of this appalling behaviour? Mr David Blunkett. Mr David Blunkett. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Does the Prime Minister share my concern at the actions of the Northern Ireland Attorney General in using an outdated and discredited law of disrespecting the court to invoke contempt proceedings against the former Northern Ireland Secretary, my right honourable friend, Fenneath, for comments in his memoir? Shouldn't respect for the independence of the judiciary be balanced by the rights of individuals to fair comment on that judiciary. I, I do have a, a great deal of sympathy uh, with what the right honourable gentleman says. I mean, parliamentary privilege, obviously, quite rightly, allows honourable members to express their views in Parliament. In terms of what is said outside Parliament, let me just say this. There are occasions, as we all know, when judges make critical remarks about politicians, and there are occasionally remarks when politicians make critical remarks about judges. To me, this is part of life in a modern democracy, and I think we ought to try and keep these things as far as possible out of the courtroom. Stephen Mosley. Like the Prime Minister, I welcome the strides towards democracy being made in Burma and welcome his efforts to achieve a controlled suspension of sanctions. With the decision on his proposals due next week, will he ensure that measures to monitor human rights in Burma are included in the discussions? I think my honourable friend is entirely right. I think while it's clear that the Burmese regime is making some steps towards greater freedom and democracy, we should be extremely cautious and extremely careful. We want to see the further release of political prisoners. We want to see the resolution of ethnic conflicts. And we want to see this democratisation process continue. That is why uh, we are pushing across Europe for the suspension of sanctions, excluding the arms embargo that should stay, rather than the lifting of sanctions. We've now got support from that position from most of the other leading European countries, and I hope that we can deliver it. That would be the right thing in terms of demonstrating the regime we want to back progress. It would also strongly support what Aung San Suu Kyi herself has said is the right approach. Brian Murray. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Prime Minister, my constituents in Edinburgh South are angry that his priority in the budget was to give a £40,000 tax cut to millionaires. Will he tell the House that as a result of the reduction in the top rate of income tax, how much collectively will his cabinet be better off? <laughs> let, let me just make this point about the top rate of tax. Let me just make this point. The party opposite 
had 13 years to introduce a 50 pence top rate of tax. They did it one month before a general election. They knew they were going to lose. This top rate of tax has not raised any money, and the 45p rate that we have is higher than what you had for 12 of your 13 years. Mr. Paul Upholt. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Earlier this week, the journalist Marie Anne Seagart wrote an article in The Independent about how many young South Asian women feel traditionally that their votes have been hijacked through abuse of the postal vote system. Would my right honourable friend please look at the issue of revisiting postal vote on demand, not only to strengthen our democracy and trust in it, but to ensure that all voters have a vote and that particularly in the case of South Asian young voters, their votes are not actually stolen. I think my honourable friend makes a very important point, and I'm happy to look at the issue of postal voting, but I think, first of all, what we need to do is sort out the issue of of individual voter registration. I think this is vitally important to make sure we don't have a system that allows lots of people to be logged on to a houses register when actually nobody is living there at all. There is growing evidence of, of abuse and concern, and it's right that we're acting on it. In Hopkins... Two years ago, in his pensioner pledge, the Prime Minister said, and I quote, it is fundamental to me that people who have worked hard all their lives and are now drawing their pension deserve to be treated with respect. Does the Prime Minister really think trying to sell his granny tax as a simplification is treating pensioners with respect? Well, let me just explain what we're doing for pensioners. We are increasing the basic state pension by £5.30 a week this April. That is not an increase that the party opposite would have made. At the same time, we are saving the winter fuel payments, the cold weather payments, the free television licence, the free bus pass and the other pensioner benefits. That is what this government is doing. At the same time, time, we are examining the case for a single-tier pension of around £140 each. I would have thought that's something that members on all sides of the House would welcome, because it would be a well-paid basic state pension that would encourage people to save before they become pensioners, and a thoroughly, thoroughly welcome reform. Caroline Dynage. Over 30 years ago, a a British toddler, Catrice Lee, went missing in Germany, and partly due to the chronic mishandling of this case by the British military police, her parents still have no idea what happened to their little girl. Will the Prime Minister agree to meet with the family to hear their calls for an independent inquiry into the bungling of this investigation and give them the closure that they so desperately need and deserve? I will will certainly look at the case that the Honourable Lady says and see what more we can do. These cases of missing people are completely tragic and the family doesn't get closure as this case and and, and sadly tragic other ones show. Very happy to look at the case and to get back to her. Mr Gordon Marsden. Mr Speaker, churches and uh, places of worship, including uh, many in Blackpool, do immensely valuable work adapting their buildings for community and voluntary sector use. So why is the Prime Minister backing a 20% VAT raid in the budget on uh, alterations to listed buildings, which will cost many of those churches and places of worship millions of pounds, the Church of England some estimate of 10 million, infuriating them and the charities concerned 
and shooting his own big society in the foot. Well, again, let me try and explain to the Honourable Gentleman the basic unfairness that there is in the current system. Repairs to churches are already subject to VAT. Alterations to listed buildings are not subject to VAT. So that means that whereas a repair to a church you do pay VAT on, if you put a great big swimming pool in a listed Tudor house, you don't pay VAT. So it makes sense to redraw the boundaries. But this is the crucial point. We will be putting money aside to make sure that churches that are undertaking repairs and alterations get the monies that they need. Mr Douglas Carswell. A few weeks in the House, I want to hear Mr. Douglas Carswell. A few, a few weeks ago in this House, Mr. Speaker, I asked the Prime Minister to what extent he believed the Whitehall machine, the Sir Humphrey factor, was frustrating reform. He assured us that it wasn't. According to the Financial Times in Malaysia last week, the PM said, As Prime Minister, I can tell you, yes, Minister is true to life. Can the Prime Minister tell us what's happened to change his mind? Uh, I, um, I, there are a few occasions where I think the Honourable Gentleman does need a bit of a sense of humour. Alex Cunningham. The Prime Minister's official spokesman argued last week that rich individuals were avoiding tax by giving to charities which don't in all cases do a great amount of charitable work. Can the Prime Minister name any of these charities? The, the, the figures I gave earlier show that last year 300 people earning over a million pounds in our country got their, their, their rate of tax down to 10%. Now, I think we do need to make sure, of course we protect charities, we encourage philanthropic giving, but we do need to make sure that rich people are paying their fair share of taxes. I would have thought that would be a principle that would get some attraction from all sides of the House. Sir James Clapperson. Does my right honourable friend agree that universities should be free to admit students on the basis of merit? I think my uh, honourable friend is entirely right. It's welcome that a greater proportion of 18-year-olds are now applying to university than at any time under the last 13 years. No one pays up front. Uh, for their tuition or other fees. I think that is welcome too. And yes, he's absolutely right. University entry is about academic merit. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. The Deputy Prime Minister recently said that we have succeeded to pull the economy back from the brink. With record levels of youth unemployment, with growth lower than forecast and inflation up, does this not show that the Deputy Prime Minister is the Prime Minister's broken arrow? He doesn't work and the Prime Minister can't fire him. (laughs) I notice absolutely no welcome of the fact that today unemployment has fallen, employment has gone up and youth unemployment has come down. Of course it is much too high. There's far more that needs to be done. But let me just bring the House up to date with one particular scheme, the Work Experience Scheme, on which the evidence is now growing. 50% of those young people going into that scheme are off benefits within six months. And that means it is 20 times more cost-effective than the Future Jobs Fund. That is part of the youth contract that the Deputy Prime Minister has been spearheading, and he's been doing an extremely good job in doing so. Claire Perry. Today, a group of MPs... The members shouldn't be yelling at the Honourable Lady. I want order. It's very discourteous. Very discourteous. I want to hear what she's got to say. Claire Perry. Perhaps they should listen first, Mr Speaker, before yelling. 
Today, a cross-party group of MPs from right across the political spectrum published a report into something that is incredibly important to many of us, how we keep our children safe online. We think that internet service providers should do more and that the government should deliver a very strong lead on this issue. Would the Prime Minister undertake to at least read the summary of the report, because I know he's busy, and perhaps meet with us to discuss the recommendation? I'm very grateful to the Honourable Lady who dropped off a full copy of the report to my office this morning. She raises a very important subject. As a parent and as a politician, I'm keen that we help protect people uh, from this sort of material. I have got together some of the technology and telephony companies and got them to look at offering a choice of blocking all adult and age-restricted content on their home internet. I think if we start working with the companies to deliver these sorts of changes, we can actually protect more young people. Green. The government said it wants to simplify the tax system. So why is it introducing changes to child benefits that will bring what the Treasury Select Committee today has said will create further uncertainty? I'd say to the Honourable Lady, who who did very good work as head of the Child Poverty Action Group, we have to make difficult decisions to deal with the debt and the deficit. And I think it's not defensible to ask people who earn £20,000, £30,000 to pay their taxes so that people sitting in this House can get child benefit. I don't think that's fair. I know that members opposite are going to walk through the lobby tomorrow for something that they will financially benefit from, but I have to say I think it's profoundly wrong. Accommodate backbenchers, Mr. Andrew Percy. Uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. The caravan industry uh, employs thousands of people across this country, nowhere more so than in East Yorkshire, where the vast majority of manufacturing is located. Uh, will the Prime Minister listen to the pleas of myself and other local MPs, including the members for Beverly and Holness and Holton Price and Howden, and think again about this tax which will cripple an already uh, suffering uh, industry? Well, obviously, I listen very carefully to the points that he makes, and I know my right-hand friend, the Chancellor, has been uh, meeting with uh, other Yorkshire MPs. But again, this is an issue about how we draw the VAT boundaries fairly. I don't think it's fair that a mobile caravan pays VAT, but a stationary caravan does not. No one is talking about putting VAT on park homes that are people's permanent homes, but this is about a fair drawing of the boundaries to make sure we have a fair approach in our country. Mr George Galloway. As I I was saying, Mr. Speaker, there is uh, an ironclad consensus across the three front benches about what they now call a mission, but given the amount of blood on the ground and the rapidly deteriorating military situation, most of us call a war in Afghanistan. In the wake of Mrs. Gillard's decision, to accelerate the withdrawal of Australian forces from that war and in the wake of the Bradford West by-election, will the Prime Minister reconsider his current planning on our withdrawal from this maw, this bloody maw of Afghanistan? Well, first of all, let me congratulate the Honourable Gentleman on his stunning by-election victory and his return to uh, this House of Commons. 
and I know he always speaks with great power and great force. But on this issue, I have to say I profoundly disagree with him. Our troops are in Afghanistan, not fighting a war against Islam, but at the invitation of an Islamic government and under a UN resolution to try and help that country to have a peaceful, prosperous and stable future. And he knows the dangers in the past of walking away from Afghanistan and leaving that country to become the terrorist-supporting haven that it did under the Taliban. We mustn't make that mistake again. And I would urge him not to play to the gallery on this issue, but to speak up for the work our forces are doing to make Afghanistan a safer country. Order. Uh, point of order, Mr Ed Balls. Mr Speaker, before the Prime Minister leaves. Before the Prime Minister leaves. The Prime Minister just told the House in Prime Minister's questions that the 50p rate does not raise any money, a claim which is flatly contradicted both by the documents published on Budget Day and the Treasury's own figures published on Monday. Could the Prime Minister correct the record before he leaves the House, Mr Speaker? These matters will be the subject of debate later today. And if I didn't know the Right Honourable Gentleman, the member for Morley and Outward, as well as I do, I would think that he was trying to use the device of a contrived point of order to continue the debate. But because I know him as well as I do, he can take it from me that I know he wouldn't be guilty of such unworthy conduct. Point of order, Mr Paul Flynn. Can I ask you to consider the situation we have because the backbench committee have only one slot uh, which they can allocate and they have nine applications. One of those applications was asking for this parliament to follow the example of the Australian decision and uh, the decisions in Canada and in the Netherlands to withdraw their troops independently from Afghanistan. Isn't it a shame that procedure is preventing this parliament from taking a decision that we can act independently to withdraw our troops and remove them from a conflict that very few people now believe in? Well, what I would say to the honourable gentleman is that he's a wily and mature bird of a very distinct pedigree. And the Honourable Gentleman has penned a book, recently updated and republished, on how to be an MP and how to operate as a backbencher. And it's a much-thumbed tome, and he uses every device to get his concerns across, and that's what he's done. What I would say to him, though, is that all sorts of things are a shame, or a pity, or regrettable, but sadly they're not matters for the Chair. Now, I think that the Honourable Gentleman would like them to be matters for the Chair, but unfortunately, they're not. We'll have to leave it there for today. Guardian Podcast, sponsored by audible.co.uk. For a free download, be sure to check out guardian.co.uk slash free download, where Guardian listeners can choose any audiobook for free. See the page for more details.